All right. Well, listen, if you've opened up your outline, you saw that we've, we've got a good bit to cover today, don't we? Okay, did you see that? Well, go ahead and open it up and take a peek. Okay, there's 12 points and I'm adding one. Okay, so we've got 13 points in Colby Mache preaching. Okay, so, hey, y'all, we're feeding you today. Okay, like it's, it's okay. No, I'm just kidding. All right, we, we can do this. We can do this. This is going to be a, a, a great time. We, we, uh, we started last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through uh, 21, and, and mainly we focused on this phrase that's found in verse 14, where the apostle Paul says, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us. And so we considered what it would mean to be controlled or compelled by the love of Christ or how the love of Jesus Christ transforms our lives to the point that we're compelled to a life of living, not for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. And, and so when we looked at that last week, we said the love of Christ, if we're able to see into the depths that we see it, okay? And so keep in mind, like the prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Ephesus was that they would be able to unite or to connect with all of the saints, how deep and how wide and how broad the love of Jesus Christ is. And so what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to say, hey, to the depths that we grow in the love of Christ will really be to the extent that we're compelled to the life of making a difference for his kingdom of love. And so all that to say, we saw last week that the love of Christ transforms the way we view God, transforms the way we view ourselves as we find our identity in Jesus. We are who he says we are. Like, that, like that's a great phrase. I am who you say I am our identity in him and how that frees us to love and to live and changes the way we view other people and changes the way we view, and I mean this, anything and everything. And so that's where we were last week. And so let's just say that that was a 30,000 foot view. Today, we'll, we'll start landing the plane a little bit and, and we'll come on the, the ground as far as this. What happens when the love of Christ compels a people? Like, like, what should the culture be of that people? What ought we find with this people? What should we experience? What should we see? What should be evidence that the love of Christ has transformed those in our midst? And so that's what we're gonna look at today. And, uh, and so I, I wanna invite you to go ahead and, and have your outline ready. We, we are gonna stay in point one for the longest time. So I, I'm aware we can't spend equal time in all of them after you hear point one. But what I want us to do is, is uh, see this, that in the grace drenched community of Christ, and I'm using that phrase because I, I was asked to preach a few weeks ago at Safe Haven, which is a church in Tuscaloosa I love so much and so thankful for their leadership and work. Uh, but I was asked to preach there and they gave me the, the, the topic or what they gave me, they gave me a text and they said, grace drenched community. And I was like, man, I love that. You know, that's awesome. Uh, and and I, I think that connects so well with what we're talking about. A people who are compelled by the love of Christ in a, dra- dr- uh, wow, a grace drenched community, we're talking about the same people, okay? So here we go. In the grace drenched community of Christ, we ought to find, we ought to experience, we ought to see in the culture there, guess what? The love of Christ. Isn't that crazy? 
Isn't that amazing? Like in a people compelled by the love of Christ, we ought to find the love of Christ. Wow, man, Jesus, he knew what he was doing, okay? Uh, so let's just consider several texts here and I think this will lead you into, that, into this point. Matthew 22, Jesus was approached by a lawyer who asked him the question. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And a second is like it that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 5, Jesus speaks to a crowd that might struggle like us in interpreting what it means to have a neighbor. And, and, And so for us, you know, it might be, well, we love those who are around us, those who look like us, those who live next door to us. It might be whatever comes in our head, but as the Good Samaritan teaches and as Matthew 5 teaches, there's something bigger about Christ's love than just those who love us back. Matthew 5, Jesus says in verse 43, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and they added to it and said, hate your enemy. But I say to you, Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus, when he was with his disciples at the last supper, he talks to them and he says these powerful words. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love another. That's remarkable. Because think about how Jesus has loved us. When we were enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were too weak, when we were helpless, Christ died for us. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says, you are to love others just as I've loved you. And he says, it's by this, it's by this that all people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love, for one another. And I want you to know discipleship is such, it's such a broad term. And in the church and in this room, when we say discipleship, there are many different things that many people think. But we must to at least see discipleship as this. In fact, we're gonna say the great commission and then we're gonna talk about it. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Doing what? baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And as you go, I'll be with you. And man, I think in our minds, we have a lot of different things that going and making disciples means. And it can mean a whole lot of things, but it has to at least mean this, that we teach them what he's commanded us. And what has he commanded us? He says that you love one another 
just as I have loved you. This is the mark of my disciple. And y'all, sometimes we boil down discipleship to something other than loving your neighbor as yourself. And yet that's not what we find in the ministry of Jesus Christ himself. Some of us, and I think it can come across at times that we believe that our role in life is to condemn the world. Now, it may not be in this room, but Christianity at large, a lot of times is taken as those who are quick to condemn. And here's the thing about that. Jesus Christ, our Lord and the head of this church, he said he didn't come into the world to condemn, but he came into the world to save. And his people who were his disciples, who were following after our teacher, we need to be people who love like Jesus loves. See, Jesus doesn't, he's not quick to condemn. He also never condones and neither should his people. But we are to love as Christ has loved us. Romans 13 verse eight says, the word to owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covenant, covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Disciples follow their teacher. And we're to disciple people and make disciples to love and live like Jesus. What if we saw the world, all nations, less like categories of places that we needed to shift people and send people and more like one huge neighborhood that God calls us to love one neighbor at a time? What if we saw people not like case studies, but people like neighbors? And we sought to love the neighbor that's in front of us next as Jesus Christ has neighbored and loved us. That's what he's called us to do. And so when we talk about the community of faith and when we talk about the culture that ought to be there of a people who have been drenched and lavished, as Ephesians says, by the grace of God, we ought to find the love of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, the last thing to say about that is this, is that Paul says that if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm like Colby Mache playing the drums. Okay, that's what, he, that's what he says. I'm like a clashing cymbal. Y'all, if y'all heard me play, it's awful, okay? It's like a noisy gong or a, or a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and, and have all knowledge, like I'm the smartest person in the room, he says, but I have, and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love. I am nothing. Bottom line discipleship is this, and this is not pushing away from truth. This is jumping head first into it, is this. We're called to love people like Jesus has loved us. Amen. Let's be known by that. Number two, Number two, in the grace-drenched community of Christ, we ought to find friendship. 
We ought to find friendship. I've said several things about this in the past, and so we'll do some repeating. One is this. I just believe the experience of church body can go like this. Better friends will make a better church environment. Okay? We want you to have like lifelong awesome friends here at ABC. I hope that you have those. I hope that you are growing in those. And remember that we're not all gonna be equally friends and equally hang out. I mean, there's definitely circles here. You can't miss that. You're gonna find yourself more in a circle. Jesus found himself more in uh, a particular circle. He had 12 dudes that he hung out with and three that he hung out with more. It's not that weird to hang out in some circles. But what I want you to know is this, is that you ought to be finding and there is available to you the possibility of lifelong friendships here. And and here's here's something uh, on this past Thursday, we, we had a, our Golden Hearts, uh, we, we had a gathering, a, a senior adult uh, gathering that we have once a month. And we had like going from really 1921 all the way to at least the time of the merger back in 2014 of Open Door in Alberta. And, uh, and, and what I heard over and over again in that was stories of faithful friendships and leaderships and people who would uh, invest in families who befriended. And, and, I, and I heard lots and lots of different stories. And, and what we see is that in a church, I mean, better friends will make a better church. And here's the thing, if you're new here and maybe you're just kind of coming in and you're trying to hang out you know, on a row and get out before anybody can talk to you, I wanna encourage you one of this, I'm glad you're here and you were loved. I hope you feel so welcomed. But here's what I also wanna say. We gotta get you out of the road that you're in and into a circle somewhere, okay? Because you can't be known in that row the way that you can be known in a circle. And and maybe an encouragement would be this. You're like one or two conversations away from making a new friend. And you're one or two friends away from maybe the greatest community you've ever experienced. Okay, and so today's a great opportunity. We've got, a, we've got jalapenos is hooking us up big time downstairs. And so we're gonna have like a fajita bar and uh, chips and salsa and cheese dip and all kinds of stuff that's gonna be down there. And so it's like a no brainer that you should go eat today and, and be served. And, and also this, we've got some little cards on every table with five questions. This is something I love to do, but ask five questions so that we can practice getting to know each other. There's a couple of them that are interesting and funny, and there's a few that are a little more serious, but I want you to have a conversation with at least three people from this card. And who knows? Maybe you'll make a friend today. You know what I'm saying? Isn't that awesome? Okay, so friendship should be found. John 15 tells us that this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. There's Jesus again, speaking that into our life. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And what's he, what's he commanding us? That we love others like he loves us. Okay, point is Jesus in the gospel, he makes us his friends. It's only, it should be the only natural response of the spirit in us for us to make friends with others. It's Christian to have friendships, okay? So make you some friends, it's gonna be good. That should be the second thing. Number three, in the grace-drenched community of Christ, we ought to find Christ-centered diversity. 
Now we've talked about this before and we don't wanna draw too much into this uh, from statements today that are quick and, uh, and, and I don't wanna overstate something. What we wanna see is this, is that no matter where we are at this point, like in this room currently, we are a diverse body. Like we have people that are from different, uh, from different backgrounds, from different ages, uh, from different uh, education levels, experiences, race, uh, economic levels. We have people from all across the board right now in the room. So right now, as we sit, we are a diverse body. This is beautiful. Diversity is beautiful in the kingdom of God. It's beautiful in the kingdom of God. There will be a day when we will be around the throne of Jesus and there will be people from every tribe, tongue, language. I mean, it will be the most amazing thing we've ever seen in our lives. And it will be the most diverse environment we've ever been in in our lives. And yet we will be under one name, the name of Jesus. That's who we'll be under. And so when we are with the body of Christ and as we make friends, I think it's awesome to make friends with people who do have different backgrounds than you and to connect in the church body to see the diversity that's here. And as you grow in that, you will learn to grow in Christ. And so Christ-centered diversity is beautiful. Not only do we have different backgrounds and all those things that I said, but here's something we see that this uh, diversity in the church is diversity of gifts. And so like Romans 12, three through five says this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many are one in the body of Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So let us use them. Uh, I mean, in in the room currently, there are a variety and a diversity of gifts. So what I want you to do now is there was a point, a little bullet point down there that was gifts in the body. We're going to move that little baby up to right where we are now. So go ahead and do that. I didn't have time to change it in the outline. We're gonna go ahead and move that little guy up and we're gonna talk about gifts of the body from the context of diversity. And here's what I want you to consider. Everybody in this room has gifts that you got when you were born, okay? Okay. So every single person in the room, every single person in the world, in the big neighborhood that we live in, every neighbor was given gifts when they were born. But in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, when every person that was born again was also given gifts. And so in the room as we sit, when we're talking about uh, the, the body of Christ here, where Jesus is our head and we're his body here at ABC, within that body, all of you that are in Christ, you all have gifts that you got when you came out of the womb and you were born, and then you got gifts when you were born again. And what we wanna do is celebrate those gifts and use those gifts. First Peter chapter four, we don't have it on the screen, but I wanna take you there really quickly. Sometimes First Peter is not in the same place it was last time I looked. There it is. Okay, there it is. First Peter chapter four. This is the word of God, starting in verse eight. We're told, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. 
Whoop, whoop. We keep talking about that subject. All right, here we go. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, we wanna celebrate the gifts that are here in our community of faith. And one of the best ways for you to understand and experience the varied gifts is by you being out of rows and into circles. We have a life group that, that meets at, uh, at our house and it's a little bit beyond what we would like to see as far as people amount for a group right now, but we're, we're in the 30-ish adults uh, per Sunday night at five o'clock at my house. That's a lot of people at one house. We, we need to have about three groups come out of there, but that's another story. Um, but what I have learned is this, is as we relate to each other, and a lot of the people I, I had, I may have seen them, but I, I didn't necessarily uh, know them uh, personally. And then some I'd never seen before. And what I'm learning is this, is that God gave all of them and I'm learning about their gifts that they got when they came out of the womb. And then the more that we talk and the more that I hear them speak and as you pray with people, you learn what? You start learning the gifts that God gave them when they were born again. And we want those people to use those gifts to do what? To bring, to bless the, to bless the church body and to grow the church into the maturity of Christ. Jesus is our head, we are his body and we want to be moving at full capacity that we can by his grace and by his power using the gifts that he gave us. And so we wanna celebrate that. And so get to know the gifts, speak into those who are around you. When you see a gift, speak it into them. Tell them how awesome what God's given them is. When you see somebody serving and they did it like it was just, they, it, like it's their job to do it without even thinking, man, tell them, encourage them, speak it into their life. We need to use our gifts. And that's how we're gonna see the body here begin to flourish as we love through the service of our gifts. Not only do we see the gifts of the body, but in a grace-drenched community, we ought to find humility and submission. Uh, Philippians 2 is one of my favorite passages. This one that I, I mean, I feel like we should just put it on a sticky note in front of our face all day long. Philippians 2 verse 3 says that we're to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. What if we just stop there? I mean, wouldn't that, like, don't do anything out of a selfish desire. That would already better the world a whole lot. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. We're told to have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Point is, the mind of Christ, the attitude of Christ, the way that Christ relates, the way that he moves and functions with us is like this. 
It wasn't from selfish ambition or conceit, but it was in humility. We're told this about Jesus, who though he was in the very form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Church, we ought to in the community of faith, those who are compelled by love, those that are drenched by grace, we ought to be those who live lives of humility and submission to other people. What do I mean by submission? Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 21 says this, that we're to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that means I... I don't love you or show love to you necessarily because you are lovable on that day. I love you because of Christ and how he's loved me. I don't necessarily love a person because of their goodness. I love a person based on God's goodness. And that's the way we submit to one another. Is it's not on the basis of how we feel It's not on the basis of the actions of the person in front of us or the neighbor that we come in contact with. We submit based on what? Who God is, who Christ is, and how he has submitted and humbled himself for us. We ought to also find with a Grace Grinch, I mean, I cannot say it, y'all. Grace Grinch community. I gotta just change that phrase next time. Is the welcoming presence of Christ. We ought to experience, we ought to find the welcome present, welcoming presence of Christ within his community. Ephesians, I mean, not Ephesians, Romans 15, seven says that we're to what? We're to welcome one another or to accept one another. How? As we have been welcomed by Jesus to the glory of God, the father, as we've been accepted by Jesus to the glory of God, the Father. We talked about this not that long ago and we, and we said this, it's a difference in being a community that has seats available and being a community that makes space for people in our lives. That's not the same thing. Like this row right here, there are, there are however many, five seats, I can't count good. There's five seats available here. That's not the same thing as making space for people in our lives. And this is a phrase that I think we would do well to consider. Do we make space in our lives for neighbors? And, and I don't necessarily mean your next door neighbor. I, I, we all need to get, I mean, good grief. Some people are awesome at that. Uh, I just mean that the big neighborhood in the world making space for people. Because we need to be a people who welcome others, who receive people, who pull them in. Once again, this isn't about, we're not talking about condemning. We're not talking about condoning. We're talking about loving people like we have been loved by Jesus. That we welcome people as Christ has welcomed us. This should be the case for our lives. I don't necessarily, I'm not even necessarily talking about a a class that you're in or your small group, even though I I hope and pray that you make space uh, in those. I'm just talking about in your life, period. We need to be people who make space to love neighbors 
even if they don't do the things that we want them to do in their life, we love them because Christ loves them. We're for them because God's for them. And we welcome people as we have been welcomed by Christ. I guarantee you, as the father went to embrace his son, he wasn't celebrating the way he spent his inheritance. Amen? Okay, like he, wasn't, he, he wasn't pumped about the way his son, uh, the, the way that he spent his inheritance. But what he did was he wrapped his arms around him and he said, get this boy some new clothes and let's throw him a party because he's here. He's home. That's the way the love of God embraces us. We ought to be a people who love and embrace others. Let's move. We're doing good. We're doing good. We ought to find in, I'm gonna try it, y'all, the grace-drenched community of faith. We ought to find encouragement to press on in love. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us this in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You guys, listen, there, there are, there is the possibility that we can be stirred up, but not for the right thing. Okay. And so we're going we to talk. This is, this, is, this is a church conversation here. This is, Jesus is our head. We're his people. We're going to have a conversation here that I believe that he can speak right into our lives through. And it goes like this. It's possible that we can look around the world, the experiences that we've had, the things that we see, and we can be very stirred up. And you ought to be if you have eyes to see. But let's make sure that our stirred up leads to love and good works. Let's make sure that our encouragement is for the right things. And what we're told in God's word is that we're to be, uh, we're, to, we're to hold the faith, hold the confession together without wavering. That oftentimes looks like, I think, clinging on with bloody hands. Now, maybe it doesn't look like that to you in your life. It certainly has with me. Holding on to the confession of faith together. But in the midst of that, and in the midst of waiting for Jesus to return to make all things new, he has us here together. And together, we want to be people who spur each other on, who stir up each other. To what? To love and good works. We ought to be known in this city for love and good works. We ought to be known by love and good works. We ought to find encouragement to press on in love. I'm adding one here. We ought to find, and this, was, this is really the point of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five as we move on to what, you know, how we move and go. Um, and so just to make sure I clarify this, is we ought to find in the community of faith, we ought to find reconciliation. We ought to find reconciliation. We're told in 2 Corinthians 5 that God is in the world through Christ reconciling the world to himself, giving us, his people, the ministry of reconciliation. We're told that we have the message of reconciliation and that we are his ambassadors in this world Doing what? 
with him ushering in the new kingdom. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God and of the King Jesus, our King. And so we all defined within the body of Christ, we all defined this ministry taking place. We ought to hear this message being proclaimed and a message and a ministry of reconciliation. That doesn't, I mean, that should at least mean that, that we are at peace with those in our small group and Sunday school classes. Uh, but I think it means more than that. I think in uh, Matthew chapter five in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. When he says peacemakers, I don't think he means just that we have good relationships with those around us, though I definitely mean it, I believe it should mean that. I believe it means that we don't avoid conflict in the world, but that we, with Christ, get into the depths of the deepest and darkest conflicts in the world for the peace of Jesus Christ to come. And as the community of faith, as we are holding on to the uh, confession of our faith, as we are being stirred up and sent out for love and good works, we should be a people who are known for not avoiding conflict, but getting in the midst of it, bringing the peace of Jesus Christ in it. That's what we wanna be known for. And that is something that we can't just say and then walk off. That's gotta be something we're consistently uh, discussing and praying through and in our individual lives and as a church, embracing, embracing the world around us with the message of Jesus Christ, with his beautiful gospel, his transforming gospel, his restoring gospel. That's what we're going into the world with. We all define that in the body of Christ. A couple more and then we're done. We ought to experience, we ought to see, we ought to come into contact with this, repentance and restored lives. Repentance and restored lives. If we're close to the body of Christ, if we're uh, actively you know, living in the midst of the community of faith, repentance and restoration should be a normal thing that we're experiencing. I, I love the passage where, you have the apostle Paul who he goes to Peter and we're told that he opposes him to his face. He gets in his face. Now I bet he did it in the kindest way. I'm gonna think that. Uh, I don't know what face he was making when he got in his face, but he got in his face and did what? He told him, you're not walking in step with the gospel. Why? Because he wouldn't sit with the friends that he had made that were Gentiles. His Jewish buddies came around and he didn't wanna act like he knew anybody anymore. He was a 50-50 friend, okay? That's what he was being. And Paul says, there ain't no 50-50 friends in the kingdom of God. What you're gonna do is walk in step with the gospel and go sit back at the other table. Now, that's an example of how you see discipline. You see someone come with truth of the gospel and face-to-face -face say, hey, that's not in step with the truth. That ought to be found in the community of faith. It ought to be where we know people enough that we say, hey, that's, that's not the way that we live. That's not the way that you're gonna experience joy. That's gonna bring destruction. That's not in step with the gospel. And we see that and we see Peter restored. You've maybe experienced that yourself. I know I've experienced that myself. Or because of a dear friend, they spoke into my life and then I walked out of the room restored. That's something we should see. But also we should experience repentance in this way where we're just consistently turning to Jesus. 
Some of you, I think in your mind, when you think of repentance, you think of a list of writing down sins. And when you see repentance in the Bible, you don't see a list of writing down sins. You see people who turn their face to Jesus, who turn your life to Christ. And so when we do that, there's great freedom. It's not, did I leave something off the list? It's I'm free. I'm his. And so even in with sin, yes, we turn from sin to Jesus. But also when we're trying to figure this thing out about the mission of God and how to bring his kingdom on earth, we're, we're gonna turn to him in those things. I'm gonna turn to Jesus in my marriage. I'm gonna turn to Jesus as a dad. I want to know how to live and how to move and how to act and be like Christ by repenting, by turning to him. We ought to see that in the community of faith. Well, we gotta move. All right, here we go. We ought to see grace and mercy. We ought to find grace and mercy. Listen, in the community of faith, if you get connected in here, if you make some friends here, lifelong friends here, here I'm gonna tell you some truth. You ready? You're gonna get hurt at some point. Somebody's gonna be annoying and someone's gonna make bad decisions. Okay? Amen. Can we say that? All right, look. So look, you, you, can, you can think this ain't about you, but you, I, I just said ain't. Um, you're gonna think this isn't about you. It's about you too. But listen, somebody's gonna get hurt. Somebody's gonna be annoying. Somebody's gonna make a bad decision. Okay? And I, I love the way James talks about this. He, he, he's better at wording it than I am in James four. But he's like, look, you got fights and quarrels and you got all these things that are taking place. And this, this is ungodliness. He says, but listen, Truth time. He, God, gives more grace. He gives more grace. And here's what I want to encourage you with. Give grace because you've been given grace. And until God stops giving you grace, don't stop extending it to your neighbor. Okay, now there's conversations and questions that we could go through about access with people in their lives and if people have hurt you and wronged you and there's all kinds of things we can talk about in this. But in general, hear this. Until God stops giving you grace, don't stop extending it. We should find grace and mercy. I love the song that we sang last week, his mercy is more, such a beautiful song. The, the refrain that is there, our, our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. It's beautiful. Nobody in this room has sin that's too deep for his grace. Nobody. Nobody in this room. I don't wanna treat you as if you do, especially not if God doesn't. His grace is deeper still. Until he stops giving it, church, let's not stop extending it. We ought to find a couple more, freedom. And the way that I'm gonna express freedom today is this, is there is such deep and amazing freedom in God knowing you, knowing the worst about you and yet loving you. And though I do not believe you should allow everybody equal knowledge of everything about you, that's dangerous, okay? Don't, don't do that. But you ought to be able to have people in the community of faith that who know you and they love you. There's such power and freedom in being known and loved wherever you are. There's great freedom in that one scripture, I do want to make sure I, I read to you Galatians five. There's a couple of different 
just beautiful lines in here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in the word, one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. It's beautiful. The beauty of shared burdens. What freedom that comes from that. Two more. We all define the fruits of the spirit. This is like the no brainer part, but we all define the fruits of the spirit in the community of God's people. When we talk about the fruits of the spirit, of course, you know that we're talking about, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Here's what I'd say to you is this, every Christian in the room, you have the capacity to love like you've been loved by Christ. You have the capacity in you. You have the power in you. You have the fruit in you to love, to have peace, to show patience, to be kind, to show goodness, to be faithful, to be gentle, and to have self-control. And almost all of these, in fact, all of these, if you, if you look at them in a particular way, involve a relationship with someone else. And so when we talk about community, it's only right to talk about the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the, superior, of the Spirit is seen most clearly in what? In the community of faith. And so like if you're part of a, a circle currently or, or if you are having consistent conversation with people that you're leaving them bitter, you're leaving them angry, you're leaving them uh, without using self-control, you're leaving them and it's not a kind environment, not, it's not this kind of things. You need to be reminded, that's not who I am. That's not how we act. That's not how Christ's house should be. And catch yourself. That's somebody that was uninvited to this room. Mr. Angry, bitter person. In the place, we're gonna love you. I want you to be known in your bitterness, loved in your bitterness, embraced in your bitterness, but sent out as what? Encouraged to love and embrace with the fruits of these spirits. I mean, the fruit of the spirit. Lastly, in the community of faith, especially one that's grace drenched. We ought to find and we ought to see a glimpse of heaven on earth. We ought to see a glimpse of heaven on earth. You, you may not realize this, but it is really unique to sit in a room with people who you otherwise might never sit in the same room with. To do what? To lift up one name the name of Jesus, the one who loves us all, sent out with one ministry, with a message, called to the same things, to go into all of our uh, different areas of life. And, and, and when we see the beauty of the body, we see within here a glimpse of heaven on earth. We know that one day, 
that Jesus will return. And when he returns, he's removing death. He's removing tears. He's removing pain. He's removing some things that you certainly know exist now, but he will remove them completely. But he's also removing in them uh, rape and murder and disease. He's removing from this world all broken things. And he's bringing ultimate healing. And what we ought to see in the community of faith are glimpses of what is to come in the now. We should see who we are becoming. We should see it taking place in the today. We ought to experience love and grace and compassion. We ought to experience people who seek to heal. We ought to feed the hungry. Even though one day hunger will die fully, it still exists today. We should feed the hungry. We should care for those in front of us. We should move to needs. We should show what is to come in our lives today. And the community of faith ought to be a place that you can peek in and see a glimpse of what is to come. You see the first fruits of it today, but it points to what is to come in the future. We ought to see the kingdom of God coming to earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word.